Common values. Common goals. Common sense. The Common Sense Podcast with Semi Bird. All right. Well, I hope everybody can see me. Welcome back to another session. This is episode two, Common Sense with Semi Bird. Many of you know I was gone for a few days. I was down at the Mexico border via Arizona visiting my friend, Sheriff Mark Lamb, America's sheriff. Mark is in the front lines of this border crisis. Although he's the sheriff of Pinal County up from the border, Mark interoperates, Sheriff Lamb interoperates nonstop with various federal agencies, Homeland Security, Border Patrol agents, DEA, different county sheriff's departments on a daily basis, dealing with the interdiction of narcotics, human trafficking, border issues. It's nonstop. And and folks, I got to tell you, you know, we talked about this podcast as being a national security discussion, but I really don't know where to start because it is so out of control down there. Where do you start? What is it? Is it the national security aspect? The fact that our borders are wide open to what we call special interest aliens and and the fact that we have as of today 172 special interest aliens that have been apprehended at the border and when we say that just so that you understand what we are deeming as special interest these are individuals who are on the homeland securities terror watch list or the fbi terror watch list who have been apprehended imagine those who are on those gotaway rosters And by the way, you know, Secretary Mayorkas was just testifying on Capitol Hill a week or so ago, and he just let let a bombshell off. He he said, we have noted 600,000 gotaways, 600,000 gotaways. And, you know, when you say 600,000 gotaways, that that is a guesstimation that that is not even accurate. We anticipate it's probably double that. And that's talking to those sheriffs that are on the ground, boots in the ground down there. And so we literally are in a border crisis, which transcends to what we would call a national security crisis. And so when we have these special interest individuals, individuals who can represent different nations that have hostile intent to America, that is a problem for us. That is a huge problem for us. We could talk about the fentanyl issue. And we will talk about the fentanyl issue, but let me just get back to to the trip. It's it's overwhelming, really. And having gone down there, people said to me, and I saw some some chats, and I received some messages, and I'll be checking chat here um, throughout this presentation. Um, I, I had some folks ask me, you know, Simi, why did you go down? I mean, you're running to be the governor of Washington State. What does that have to do with? Arizona or the Texas border. Well, it has everything to do with the border because as Sheriff Lamb has noted, our open borders on the Southern border makes every state a border state. And what does that mean? Look at the demographics of Washington state. We have a very large migrant population in Washington state. And when people come across the border, they often go to those states where they have family or they have friends or where there's a larger population where they can acclimate and they can integrate and they can blend. And so Washington state is a natural place for immigrants to come and illegal immigrants to come. And does it matter 
the fact that we are a sanctuary state and that Seattle is a sanctuary city, you're darn right it does, because that is a natural attraction for those who would come into our country illegally, knowing that they can come here, knowing that they can have refuge benefits on the taxpayer dollar. And, and again, go under the radar, on the radar. It really doesn't matter in a sanctuary state because what we're seeing is people are jumping to the front of the lines. We have career Americans right now in Washington state, our veterans who are living on the streets struggling, our citizens that are living at or below the poverty line, but we have illegal immigrants coming into Washington state and they go right to the front of the line and they get benefits that our citizens aren't even getting. They're having to wait in line. Common sense? Not at all. It makes no sense. So let me talk about my trip. So I went down there and on the 5th, uh, the day that I arrived in, in Ajo, um, Arizona, they had a huge crossing, um, a couple thousand folks coming across. And, and Mark was there. He captured a video on it. And I'll put that video and a link um, on, our, on our YouTube channel and some of our other social media channels. But if you look at the people that were coming across those borders or the border, these were military age men, mostly. So it's not what you think, just simply families trying to find a better way of life. Although there are many who are seeking a better quality way of life, many who are seeking asylum. And I'm, I'm not belittling them or discounting them, but the large majority of illegal immigrants coming in the United States of America, they don't fit that description. These are, again, military-aged men, unaccompanied, coming into our country. And so we went down to the border. Mark showed me, went down to Nogales, uh, Arizona, which borders Nogales, Mexico. And when you're in the city, you literally cross the street and you're in Mexico, right? When you get to where the, the actual uh, panels are, the, the, the border wall that was erected during the Trump administration, as you look through that wall and you'll see barbed wire in the top, barbed wire towards the middle, and on the bottom, there are sections during that wall, um, during that, that truck of the wall, where you'll see that the barbed wire has been cut free. And then Border Patrol tries to repair it. And then migrants will come through, illegal aliens, and they'll cut it down again, breaching those borders. And again, on the other side of that wall, you have people's backyard of Nogales, Mexico, their backyard that is just on the other side of the wall. And so what you have there is, as Sheriff Lamb explained to me, they can dig a trench or a, a, a tunnel from secure obstructed view where no one can see what's happening, a very short distance pop up on the other side of that wall or even further in, pop up out of the tunnel and go undetected. And so that is a problem. And you wonder why we had 600,000 illegal aliens get through that again, we're tracking supposedly. My friends, this is out of control. This is completely out of control. And so as we discuss this, I asked Mark, I, I said, so Mark, if you were to tell our citizens back in Washington, why is this a Washington issue? Well, just like common sense would tell you, number one, we have the flow of fentanyl, illegal drugs, methamphetamine, all types of opioids coming across that Southern border. And in Arizona, 
over 50% of all opioids are coming through Arizona, through that sector. And so that is a problem because it makes its way up north to Phoenix and it distributes out throughout the rest of the nation. This, again, is out of control. It's not being properly managed, clearly, by Secretary Mayorkas. And when you talk to the Border Patrol agents, and I'm going to keep the, their names anonymous, and I did speak with them, they are disheartened, they are overworked, they are being tasked on a mission that's not even clearly defined. You have border agents flipping burgers and making sandwiches and detention centers instead of out on the front lines trying to do their job. This is a problem. And, and this is a problem that must be addressed. And I'm going to take a look and, and monitor to see if we have any new questions coming in. I'm going to see here. So we're looking to see if we're streaming. My friends, we have our producer on um, who's going to be checking to see if we're streaming, if it's coming in. We're still trying to work through the bugs. I promise you, this is our second episode. If it's not working the way it should, we will get there. So we will get there. We will make sure it's streaming. We will get with our help desk and find out what we need to do so that we're doing what we need to do the right way. So please be patient with us. So again, we were talking about the border crossings. We were talking about how it affects Washington state. And we were just talking about those border patrol agents. Instead of having a defined mission of getting out there, patrolling the borders, using technology, using ISR, we call that intelligence surveillance reconnaissance, using technology to assist our border patrol with tracking, surveilling, so that they can properly and effectively and efficiently interdict illegal aliens coming across that border, illegal immigrants coming across that border, you now have them flipping burgers and making sandwiches in border detention facilities because they're over uh, understaffed and overworked. They're working overtime nonstop. Imagine the stress that is on them, their families. And again, here's the frustration. When you're out there working and you have no defined mission, and what you see is a lack of leadership, you see that it's out of control, and you see that you have sectors of the border, that there is no border fencing. And while we're talking about this, one of the stops that we made leaving Pinal County, going down south to Nogales, we stopped at a, a storage yard. And what we saw was these huge stacks of border wall sections that were bought and paid for with taxpayer dollars that were supposed to be scheduled to be erected to continue to be pushed and put in place along the border. They were never installed. It just stopped. But what did we just find out a few weeks ago? Apparently, this administration, President Biden, is now saying, oh, I think we need to start adding more sections to the border. So here we have these yards with these border uh, fence sections just stacked, rusting out, not being used, already bought and paid for. And now all of a sudden they're thinking, well, maybe we should do something about this. Friends, this is a lack of leadership. It's a short-sightedness. It's a lack of planning. There's no strategic plan. There's no operational plan. And certainly, there's no tactical support for those Border Patrol agents. I want to talk a little bit about fentanyl and how it's affecting Washington State. This is something that will blow your minds. According to the Drug Enforcement Administration, right, the DEA, 
in Washington State, and I want to get this right because I brought this up, and I don't want to I don't want to mess this up. Between 2019 and 2022, the amount of fentanyl seized by the DEA in Washington State increased by 1,670 percent. 1,670 percent, and in 2022. The DEA Seattle Field Division seized twice as much fentanyl in 2022 than they did in 2021. So again, when you look at it, over 1,600% increase, it's out of control. And when we say that last year, over 110,000 citizens died of drug overdose, 70% of those drug overdoses were caused by fentanyl poisoning. This is a problem. And when we know the majority of that fentanyl is coming across our border, that is a problem. And it's not just the southern border. It's also the northern border coming through Canada. We don't talk about that. We don't discuss that like we should. We're going to discuss it today in the short period of time we have we're going to discuss it today. And so fentanyl, the number one killer of American citizens between age 18 and 45, the number one cause of death. When we know this, the CDC knows this, the administration knows this, our state government knows this. But just a few weeks ago, Bob Ferguson was talking about putting together a task force to interdict the drug flow of fentanyl into Washington State a few weeks ago. You see what's wrong with this picture, and I'm not one to blame, I'm, and I'm not going to sit here and blame Bob Ferguson. Th that's obvious. The chief law enforcement officer of Washington State, who do you think is responsible for the crime situation in Washington State? Who do you think is responsible? So we know that. We need to talk about solutions. One of the things that I put out, one of the things that I put out not too long ago, was to form or to put together a joint interagency task force, to form a joint interagency task force with a specific focus on drug interdiction. Now, this is something I'm familiar with because I was a targeting specialist for counter-narco-terrorism operations with a focus in South and Central America. So again, this goes back to that resume, right? Knowledge, skills, and abilities to do the job not in the field anymore, but from a strategic level, okay? Why would I form this? Again, Joint Interagency Task Force, the DEA, our Coast Guard, our subject matter experts on counter-narco-terrorism. Most people don't realize that. Our Washington State National Guard has been participating for years in counter-drug operations. We don't talk about it, and that's fine. We could say OPSEC, okay, I get it, but there's nothing classified here because it's a misuse. We're not even utilizing them the way we should. Well, under our administration in the future, let me just break it down. We will form this joint interagency task force. And by the way, a GIATF is not anything new. I've worked in GIATFs, GIATF South, GIATF West. I've worked with them. I know what they're capable of, the partnership. That's where we're sharing resources. You remember what happened with 9-11 when one agency knew this, the other agency knew this, but we weren't talking together? There was a problem there. And because we had a problem that we weren't talking to one another, 
we saw what happened. Lives were lost. So what I'm proposing is that Washington State, led by the Washington State troopers, our Washington State Patrol, will lead this joint interagency task force, partnering with other organizations. We are going to target the drug flow that's coming into Washington State. So let's talk about this. We already know that there are certain areas in Washington State that are leading in terms of, of opioid deaths. Most people don't realize that Mason County, Thurston County, Grays Harbor counties, they're leading in opioid deaths. It's crazy. So if you understand that we already have cartels operating within Washington State, in Southwest Washington, we have the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, one of the most deadliest and dangerous cartels in Mexico. Up north, northwestern Washington, we have the Beltran Nieva Crime Syndicate. And in northwestern, excuse me, northeastern Washington, you have the Sinaloa Cartel that many people have heard of. And you wonder why Spokane has such a huge drug trafficking problem. Well, yes, the DEA is aware of this. Many other agencies are aware of it. Why is the public aware of it? So there are things that we know, and there are things that we can do. And the time for talking is over. The time for acting is now. We will prevent the flow of dangerous and deadly narcotics into Washington State. We're going to start with forming that joint interagency task force. We will make that happen, but it begins with having an understanding from the root cause, where it comes across from the border. Having those partnerships with patriot sheriffs like Mark Lamb and others who are dealing with this on a regular basis. That was just the Arizona sector. We have the Texas sector as well, and I'll be going back down there. I've already been down to the Texas border as well. I'll be heading back down there, and we'll meet up with some of those Border Patrol leaders and sheriffs that are dealing with it down there so that we have a common operating picture of the dangers of that flow. Also, criminal elements coming in, those special interest elements coming in. Let's go to the national security piece for a minute, and I'm going to keep monitoring um, questions that are coming through, so bear with me, you guys, um, as I'm looking at this and I'm talking to you here. When we think of national security, and you think about what just happened to Israel just weeks ago, Israel is the most secure nation on the planet. You know it's true. I've been there. I've, I've been there. I'll keep it that way. My first deployment was in the Sinai Peninsula as a sniper team leader working in the Sinai Peninsula. My first deployment post 9-11. And people said, Sinai Peninsula, that strip of land that separates Egypt from the Gaza right? That Rafa gate. People never heard of that until, again, Israel was attacked. This is the primary route of smuggling weapons and supplies coming from Egypt all the way through the Sinai into the Gaza, supplying Hamas with those weapons that they use to attack Israel. And by the way, standing with Israel is absolutely the right thing to do because Hamas is a terrorist organization. And if you don't understand this, Hamas is the government arm of Palestine. So in 2007, when the PLO went away, right, Hamas became the government of Palestine, representing the citizens. And what did they do? They declared that their mission, their charter, was the elimination of Israel. And they began to act on it with sporadic 
arms fire, sporadic missile fire. My friends, there's a problem there. Now, we see how vulnerable they were. Let's come back to the United States of America and we see how porous our borders are. Now, let's come up to the Pacific Northwest. We have three borders, arguably. We've talked about the southern border. There's one. But we have a direct border with Canada. That's two. And you don't see the Canadian border ever in the news. You don't see any TV shows necessarily about the Canadian border. It's going under the radar. And there are too many sectors. There's no border wall on the Canadian border like you would see on the Mexican border. And then there's a third border that we don't talk about. That's the port border. We have an international border, international to the world, to the Asia Pacific. What is the number one trafficker of fentanyl precursor? China. That Asia Pacific, that is where our port and so we have what we call the EEZ, right? This is, this is a standoff from shore, X amount of feet offshore to where those ships come into our ports. You understand that anybody can be in those ships and no one would know. Anybody can disembark from those ships onto a fishing boat or any craft and no one would know. Anybody can disembark from a ship with scuba gear and go into any beach along Washington shores, and no one would know because no one talks about it. When I proposed having an intelligence fusion cell, an intelligence fusion cell, so that we were tracking special interest aliens, or China, China, the People's Republic of China, the Chinese Communist Party's operations within Washington state, people said, wait a minute, Simi, you're now talking about starting up a new agency. Well, no, I am not. This will be led again by the Washington State Patrol. Washington State Patrol already works in fusion centers, already works with task forces. We already have intelligence operations. The DEA has an intelligence operation. All it is is information sharing. Now, if something was to happen in terms of a terrorist attack on Washington State soil, I can assure you, that citizens will be screaming loudly. How did this happen? What did you do to prevent it? So what I'm proposing in terms of solution, again, similar to the Joint Interagency Task Force specific to drug interdiction, I'm talking about an intelligence fusion center to say that we in Washington state will start to monitor working with partner agencies to consider foreign threats to our citizens before it happens. My friends, we have infrastructure that are vulnerable right here in Washington State. Our dams, we have a nuclear plant here in central Washington. We have hazardous waste stored at the Hanford nuclear site. We have our port, which is responsible for economic flow to our, our nation through our Washington, through the Seattle ports, through our Tacoma ports, so we are vulnerable. All I'm saying is to be proactive and not reactive, not starting up a new agency, but protecting our citizens. This is not adding billions or hundreds of millions or tens of millions to the budget. This is utilizing the resources we already have, creating a strategic plan, creating an operational plan to interdict the threat before 
it becomes a problem. So this is what happens when you have a mindset of solutions with actions. Instead of waiting for something to happen, you are putting steps forward to prevent things from happening. So I'm going to check for questions to see what we have here. I'm not seeing any new questions, but I did have some questions coming in and I'm going to go to them and I will come back on border security, national security in a minute. One of the questions that came in, it's a little off topic, but I do want to honor because they did sub, sub, they did submit those questions before I, I started the podcast and it had to do with the Climate Commitment Act, otherwise known as cap and trade or cap and invest. Simi, what are you going to do with that? Well, number one, it needs to be repealed. People are talking right now on both sides, um, even led by by the GOP, to find a workaround on the Climate Commitment Act. Here's what I say to that. The Climate Commitment Act is responsible for an increase of at least 50 cents per gallon of gasoline, 63 cents uh, per gallon of diesel, right? What certain special interest groups are trying to do is penalize carbon producers fossil fuel producers. They're trying to get us away from carbon producing from fossil fuels into electric, renewable energy. And they're doing this because of what they perceive to be this global threat of climate change. But what's, and who's being penalized, it's not the carbon producers, it's everyday American citizens, Washington citizens that are struggling to put food on the table. They're the ones, we are the ones who are being penalized. Imagine again, those citizens living at or below the poverty line, and you're having to pay that much for gasoline just to try to get to work, to get your kids to school. Keep in mind, we're coming into the winter months. And as we come into the winter months, that natural gas, those oil furnaces, that cost is already going up. So you're going to see huge increase in your utility bills just to heat your home or to heat your living space because of this Climate Commitment Act. So the solution is simply this, to work to repeal it. And I will lead the charge to repeal it because it makes no sense. It does more harm than good. And the $1.5 billion that they brought in, is there any monitoring of those funds? Is there any strategic plan for how they're gonna use those funds? Are they gonna use them on more programs to reduce climate change? Or are they gonna use it on programs to lift people out of poverty, to fix our roads that are out of control, to deal with the homelessness. And by the way, when we talk about the homelessness, what is the root cause of homelessness in Washington state? Mental health and addiction. And what we were just talking about, fentanyl, the fentanyl crisis in Washington state. It all ties in, it all ties in. So we have some huge problems that we need to work through. And I saw a question coming up. Um, when, when you were there, how many illegals did you see coming across the border? And so then this came from Rick. So Rick, where I was with um, Sheriff Lamb, we were not going out at nighttime uh, tracking uh, illegal aliens coming across. This was more of an exploratory visit for me. When I go back down there, yes, we'll be putting on the night vision goggles. We'll be going out to the smuggling routes, more geared towards interdiction. And so this visit was more gathering information, getting lessons learned, getting recommendations, dealing with what, understanding what, what they're dealing with and seeing what we need to do in Washington state to prevent the problems that you're seeing in New York City because of their sanctuary city status 
how it's out of control and how their homelessness has just spiraled out of control, how their crime has spiraled out of control, how their expenditure of budget is out of control. And I can go on and on and on. So this was a lesson learned for me. This was not an interdiction. Um, the next time I do go down, yes, we will be doing some uh, interdiction exercises. We will get camouflaged up, night vision goggles, the whole thing, something that uh, I'm familiar with. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll do the tactical interdiction the next time. This was, again, more exploratory for me to learn and to listen and to, to grow my knowledge base so that I can bring forward solutions with actions for when I'm elected governor in 2024 and take office in 2025. Thank you for the question. Um, another question um, from Talon. Um, we have many addicts who, who are bust here because uh, the policies here, right? Catch and release. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, we have our, 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 our folks who are struggling right now on the streets of Washington state whether it's in Seattle or Spokane or Thurston County. It, it, again, addiction knows no borders or county boundaries. This is a human struggle. Addiction is a dark evil. And once it takes over, you're out of control. You cannot control yourself. I mean, that's why I say it's not a matter of not having affordable housing simply when you're addicted, and I lost my nephew a year ago to heroin and fentanyl combination, and he died. Dominic had been addicted to opioids for, for years, and we knew that. And we did everything we could, but he was lost to addiction. And so when we talk about this, giving needles and safe spaces for people to shoot up, to die slowly on the streets, that is not compassion. In my opinion, that is complicity and the eventual murder or homicide of another human being. Compassion is creating an infrastructure, infrastructure so that we have programs, so that if those citizens are ready, and again, bear with me, we have inpatient programs so that they can get clean. And I've written a solution with action on this, and it's posted on our website. Homelessness Solutions with Action. And what we're talking about is we will work with our resources that we have. I will declare a state of emergency. I will activate our National Guard, not to go out in the streets. No, never, right? And not taking away citizens' rights. No, never. I don't roll that way. Article 1, Section 1. My job is to protect and maintain the individual rights of our citizens, not to take them away and not to compromise. But the National Guard are subject matter experts. They bring in the highest quality of dental, medical, addiction treatment, psychologists, counselors, therapists. This is what they do. These are citizen soldiers that during the week, during the every day of their career, they're professionals in, in, in these skill sets. And then one week in the month, they go to the other side, if you're living on the east side, and they drill, as we say, and they're utilizing their expertise and practicing. Well, now we say, our National Guard can clear 10 acres of state land, put together an inpatient infrastructure so we can bring people, again, who are dying slowly in the streets, give them a roof over their head, give them a nutritious meal, get them clean of their addiction, bring in programs 
to certify so that they have skill sets to train them, partner with their business community. So when they graduate the program, we reintegrate them with their families. They graduate, they go into transitional housing. They have a job to report to a good paying job on Monday. And because you put that light at the end of the tunnel, the recidivism rate has, has been hypothesized to be reduced by 40%. Typically, opioid addiction has a very high recidivism rate, but because they will actually have a job, a skill set, something that, that will give them an asset to continue to grow forward, they are more likely to stay clean and sober and grow and thrive. And now they are a producer. They're a taxpayer. They are spending money in the economy. They're back with their families. It's a beautiful thing. This is true compassion not giving them needles so that they can die slowly in the streets. We need to rebuild our mental health infrastructure. And that's a whole nother discussion that we will have in another episode. So I just want to go through a couple more questions. Let me see here. Yep, we're talking about first responders, uh, border often, um, live stream and cartel. Let's see, start shooting. Yeah, gotcha. All right. Now, it, it's, it's good stuff. This is good information that, that, that we're getting in from people that are, that are tuning in. But again, solutions with actions is what we should be talking about. No more, no more delaying, taking action, bringing solutions forward to save our state. Look at Washington state. We have the most beautiful state in the nation. The most beautiful state in the nation. Washington state should be the tourist destination this side of the Mississippi. But if you go downtown, and you see the homeless situation that's out of control. You see people living in despair, struggling with mental health issues, with addiction. That is not what Washington State should be about. We are much better. We are much better than this. We need leadership. We need individuals with a mindset of moving forward, growing forward, and bringing solutions with actions to make our state the best it can be, to bring real compassion. That's what solutions do. Is that not the common sense approach? Is that not what we should be doing? So when we talk about controlling our borders and that Washington state is in itself at risk, not only from a national security standpoint, but from a drug flow standpoint, absolutely. There's so much what we can do and we will do it. And that's why I'm writing solutions with actions. What else can we talk about from the visit? Mark pointed out something, Sheriff Lamb pointed out something. They often say that the majority of drugs, illicit drugs that are coming across are caught at those, those border checkpoints where the, the big semi-trucks are coming across, those main crossing points. That is put out by Homeland Security and, and Border Patrol. There's another organization that also researches this. And this organization is based on different law enforcement agencies they have come up with a different statistic. They believe that half comes through those main checkpoints. The other half comes across the border organically in those backpacks. One of the things that you'll see, and I'm gonna have some videos that we'll attach to our, our recorded videos that we're gonna put, if it's not live streaming, again, we're working through difficulties. If it's not completely live streaming, what you're gonna see is we'll put those videos there. So you'll see the conversations I had with Sheriff Lamb, you'll get some of the pictures that we took when we were down on the border. But when they were coming across, so let me see if I can put this in context. We were down at the border. We know over 
600,000 gotaways every year, at least, right? And it's more and more and more. We went from the border 70 miles north, and we went to smuggling routes, again, during the day, not nighttime. And here's what we found strewn across the desert, those big black water bottles, right, where you can carry them um, through the desert. These are people that are coming at nighttime through the desert with their coyotes and their backpacks. And what you'll find is at these stop points, these what we call the handoff points, this is where they'll stop. They'll come under a tree or, or a vegetated area just coming out of the desert. They'll stop there. They'll wait for their facilitator to drive up. They take all the contents out of their backpack. They leave these little carpet slippers, I call them, right? And they wear those in their shoes when they're crossing the desert so they're not leaving paths. We have pictures and videos of that. And so they'll wear those slippers so they're not wearing paths. They're issued this. They're issued the water bottles. They're issued these backpacks. All this is well organized before they even cross the border. So keep in mind, when we talk about the, the gotaways, these folks are so sophisticated in their infrastructure and their operational protocols that you know that the gotaway number is so much more. And so they come across, they navigate through the desert. There's a huge Native American reservation there, and they don't play by the same rules. So they don't have the border fence. They don't have the border wall. And deals can be made there, and they are made there. And so they come through that porous location, through the reservation, up through the desert. And imagine this. How many people are traveling through the desert, filled with rattlesnakes and wildlife that, that is not human-friendly? Can you imagine how many bodies are probably out there? That's a terrible thought. Can you imagine the human suffering from human trafficking? Because when you're carrying uh, drugs or fentanyl or when you're being smuggled across, you're paying a deposit to a coyote to come in, you have a balance that must be paid. In many cases, women throughout this trek are being raped, are being abused. Young children are being abused and they're being sold into sex slavery, sex trafficking. Young men are being sold and until their debt is paid, they are being bullied and managed by the cartel, by facilitators operating within the U.S. We are facilitating this, this inhuman action because of our bad policies. As Washington state governor, I will take deliberate action to ensure that we will not support through bad policy human trafficking. Human trafficking is an issue here in Washington state. We know it is. We know these crime syndicates facilitate this. This is something that we must, we must interdict. We must go after them. We must target them and stop it from happening. This is what I call compassion. This is what I call human decency. Again, the time for talk is over. The time for action is now. What kind of state are we going to be? A state of human decency, compassion, and civility, or a state that just goes along to get along with the special interest groups for whatever reason. And I choose not to see evil in others, but it is what it is. I will not tolerate this. We cannot tolerate this. 
it's time for common sense leadership in Washington State. And we will bring common sense leadership to Olympia. I'm going to go back over here and see if I can uh, pick up on a couple more questions. Yeah. And, and this is just capturing someone that said many are being driven. And so that's one of the things that Sheriff Lamb and I saw. Um, we, we went to these different checkpoints where people are being picked up. They even have shuttle services out of Nogales. They have programs right now where once you get processed, you're giving a large chunk of cash, right, or a debit card, um, a ticket, and you're released. And we anticipate at least 800, 700 to 800 uh, illegal immigrants are caught and released into the nation every single day. Imagine that. So keep this in mind. Immigrants who come across, many turn themselves in. Many do not. And they're giving a lot of money and they're released. No jobs. And where do you think they're going? Well, we know where they're going. They're going to those sanctuary states, those sanctuary cities. They're going into those areas where they have family or they have people where they can, again, be absorbed in, right? And again, with bad policies, no one ever does anything about it. This is not us bringing prejudice or discrimination to folks who just want a better way of life. But if we do not have secure borders, we are compromising our national security. And when we have compromised national security, we are exposing our own citizens to a danger unnecessarily. There's a responsibility we have in leadership. And if we're not doing anything about it, then we're not doing our job. We need change in Washington state. I went down to the border to get firsthand knowledge of what I needed to know. Again, I believe I need to know what I need to know so that I can do what I need to do. Meeting with Sheriff Lamb and his staff and his team, talking to those border agents, those leaders down there, getting that firsthand briefing from them, helping me to understand how what is happening down there and how it affects Washington State. It is important. And again, that is just one section of concern. We haven't even got into the crime syndicates that operate freely within Washington State. Law and order is something else that we're going to tackle. And I have a strategic plan for that. Again, mental health and addiction. I have a strategic plan. Quality and education, academic excellence for our, our children. I have a plan for that. This is the difference, my friends. When we talk about common sense leadership, it's time to put people over politics. When I say that and I talk about getting back to common sense leadership, people are more important than party or politics. We must agree with that. I believe in that. And that's the difference in this candidate. I am a career American, not a career politician. I am not bought and paid for. I am not controlled. I am not indebted to anybody. I am of the people, by the people. And when elected, I will be for the people and not just some people, all the people. Today at the airport when I was coming back, I, I've got to share this. I met this beautiful human being, and this is a woman of color. And I approached her after um, a, another wonderful, beautiful lady behind the counter, um, a Hispanic lady, and I ordered a, my breakfast burrito, and she was so kind, and I was able to engage her with you know, my, my little bit of Spanish, and it was just a kind, and she said, have a blessed day. And I said, you have a blessed day, sister. And we did all that in Spanish. And then I, I walked over, and this other, that other lady I was telling you about that 
beautiful woman of color and she smiled and we started to engage in conversation and that conversation grew. And I said, where are you from? And she says, I'm from Seattle, Washington. And I said, where from? She's Capitol Hill. And I felt that I could tell her I'm running for governor of Washington state. And she said, you are. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, I need to get your information. And she pulled out her phone. She entered my name. I gave her my card. And I want to tell you, this is just the truth. This is me being just straight out transparent. I wasn't sure how I would be received because being a black American Republican is not always welcomed in the black American community. And I found myself saying, this is just a beautiful thing we have going, a wonderful person. She's so kind. And I'm like, no, I want to be me. And I told her, I kind of, I danced around a little bit, but I let her know. And she was so kind hearted. She says, oh, I knew you were conservative. I, I figured it out. And we started talking and she says, we need to listen to one another. We need to understand one another. And the fact that we label each other, if for me to be worried about how I'm going to be perceived because I have an R behind my name or for us to do the same thing to someone who who's a Democrat. And we say, well, because you're a Democrat, you're this or you're that. All this label lynching, it's got to stop. It's wrong. It is wrong because we don't get to learn or to listen or to understand the person. That person is so much more than a label. That is the problem in Washington state. That is the problem with politics. Now, I've been true. I've been a Republican my entire life, and I'm proud of it. I've already explained my version of being a Republican is that party of abolition, that party that ended slavery, that party of women's rights, that party of civil rights, and now that party of parents' rights. I am proud of that. I am proud to say I'm a Reconstruction Republican. And what does that mean? That means that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream is not done. Every American citizen should have an opportunity, equal opportunity, not equity of outcome. This is a system of meritocracy. But there's some barriers we need to break down. We need quality of education in all communities, not just wealthy communities. So there's work to be done. But if we're not having real conversations, respecting one another, we don't have to agree upon everything, but we should always be able to leave a conversation with a smile and with respect for that other person and not be afraid to share who we are and value each other. And I told a, a young lady the other day who said, well, Simi, well, I'm not sure if you would support me because I'm gay. And I said, young sister, and I've said this many times. I'm not here to judge your lifestyle. I'm here to protect your civil liberties. I'm a constitutionalist. And every citizen has a right to their happiness. That is what I believe. As governor, that is my job to represent all fairly, equally. And that is exactly what I'll do. So please work with me. Understand what that common sense mindset means. We, the people coming together, we, the people honoring our heritage as career Americans, all colors, all races, all religions, that melting pot that made America what it is, this most beautiful nation. That's America. 
We are all colors. We are all races. We are all religions. That is America. That's why we only needed one flag. Because it's America. We are all together, right? We, that diversity is the strength of America. I realize it. I know many of you support me. You realize it. We need to get the word out so other people realize it. So there's a few things happening, guys. I want you to go to my website, birdforgovernor.com, birdforgovernor.com. We have an event coming up on the 10th, right? It's a Patriot, Patriot event. We're going to honor our oh, Semper Fi, right? November 10th, the Marine Corps birthday. Veterans Day is the next day, the 11th. So we're going to have an event. It's going to be in Graham, Washington. Go to our, our website, Bird for Governor. Go to events. It's free. We're going to have food. It's going to, we're going to have fellowship. We're going to honor our veterans. We're going to honor our Marines on, on their Marine Corps birthday. And we're going to have a great time. And we'll talk about fellowship and what we can do to restore our constitutional republic. And then on the 15th at Kelly Farms, we're going to have another event. So go to birdforgovernor.com, go to our website, see our events, see what's happening. Let's get engaged and, and go to our website um, and share it. Go to our, our Facebook page, uh, Semi Bird for Governor Washington, and share it. People talk about name brand recognition. Well, the best way to get name brand recognition is to share it, right? Let's get the word out. We're doing some good stuff. We're bringing some common sense, finally, to Washington State. This is a we the people movement, a we the people movement. And together, there is nothing that we cannot do when we work together and when we come together. This is common sense, my brothers and sisters, common sense, love for one another, love for one another. And people say that, what kind of Green Beret are you? You talk about love and leadership. You lead with love. That's right. I do. I lead with love. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's right. I said it. That's right. This is what I'm talking about. Agree to disagree. You have a different opinion than I do, then I'll shut up and learn from you. What's wrong with that? And maybe you can learn something from me. But because we approach it with a mindset of respect, and like that young lady helped me to understand, she was willing to give me the benefit of the doubt. She listened to me. And now we're going to meet. Right. I'll go to Capitol Hill and I'll sit down with her and meet with her. That's right. Jason Rand's captured that the other day. He says, Simi, you're doing something Republicans don't do. You have been going into the inner city. You have been working in the inner city of Seattle, talking to people. That's right. We should have been doing that decades ago. Well, you know what? I'm not more of the same. I'm something different. We value all career Americans. We are all brothers and sisters and this great American experience. That's what a constitutional republic is. That is what we, the people, are. And now it's time to bring back self-governance. We're taking it back. And with that said, until next time, until next time, thank you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. God bless. And I will see you soon for our next podcast. And we'll put it out there. We'll talk about law and order. What we're going to do is more solutions with actions, mental health and addiction, education. We got a lot of things coming. Stay tuned. It will always get better. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you.